Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. In this episode from our DC podcast series, policy directors Elizabeth Gore and Elizabeth Mayer bring their broad knowledge of congressional issues from both sides of the aisle together for a discussion on the Trump administration's current state of play. Brownstein Strategic Advisor Senator Mark Begich moderates a discussion that covers health care, tax reform, infrastructure, and budget. We're joined this morning by two Elizabeths here, Elizabeth Gore and Elizabeth Mayer. We're bringing these two congressional experts from both sides of the aisle together to share a dialogue on what's happening on the Hill and to evaluate Trump's first 100 days, otherwise known as the Trump 100. It's almost like a NASCAR race. So (laughs) it feels like it in a way. So we are here again, uh, joined by two Elizabeths. Elizabeth Gore, policy director, serves as chair of the Brownstein Government Relations Department. Prior to Brownstein, she served as chief of staff and legislative director to a U.S. senator, worked extensively in both the House of Representatives and the Clinton White House, and played a key role in several political campaigns. Elizabeth Mayer, policy director, is a well-trusted policy and political advisor at Brownstein. Elizabeth worked more than 10 years as legislative director to U.S. Senator John Kyle, where she actively pursued the senator's many legislative priorities. Welcome to both of you. And again, it does feel like almost like a NASCAR race. Uh, we're in uh, the Trump 100. Uh, we're about two-thirds of the way through it, a little bit. A lot of commitments during the campaign, a lot of discussion about what's possible when you think about it, you know, repeal of Obamacare, tax reform, infrastructure, uh, less regulation, get rid of uh, past executive orders. I mean, the list kind of goes on and on, as well as having to present a budget and deal with many other things. So here we are, almost about 30 days left in the um, 100 days. Uh, let's kind of start off with the easy one, uh, health care. Uh, that seemed to be uh, a little active recently. and But again, a, a huge, I mean, I think the public assumed in this election, when you saw the House, the Senate, and the president, all Republican, that this would not be as complicated as it was. So let me first start with Elizabeth Mayer. You know, you worked in the Republican on the Senate side for a long time. You saw how it operates. What happened? That week seemed to be up and down. Every day there was something about about to happen, then not happen, then about to happen, then nothing happened. Well, I'll start off by saying, uh, you know, anybody who thinks they could have put a bill together that uh, could pass the House, like, go at it. Um, I think Speaker Ryan did his best um, and tried to cobble something together that would appeal to both sides. I think whether Trump's assertion that Speaker Ryan didn't reach out to the Freedom Caucus and advance enough and work with them enough is in the eye of the beholder, to be honest. I'm not sure that they were ever going to get on board for anything short of almost total repeal. I think to move beyond sort of the postmortem moving forward, what I've been told is that there is an effort in the House for some members of the Republican Study Committee to work as sort of brokers between the farther right Freedom Caucus, the farther sort of moderate left Tuesday group, and Speaker Ryan to try to resurrect some kind of effort that could pass the House either under a reconciliation instruction or not. We also have President Trump and Speaker Ryan alluded to it this morning that Republicans need to get their act together. And I think he that is verbatim what Speaker Ryan said, because if not, then a president such as President Trump might 
reach around to Democrats and then figure an effort that might not be the best or what Republicans really wanted at the end of the day. So there is a long road ahead, and I think it's even less certain what can happen in the Senate. And, um, you know, I'll toss it to Elizabeth to see what she thinks about the Senate, too, and the House. But we're really kind of nowhere right now. Yeah, and it seems like, Elizabeth Gore, uh, you know, you've worked with a lot of Democrats. You know them personally. Um, In a lot of ways, they were kind of quiet toward the end. And then there was excitement. But is it maybe a little premature excitement because, you know, the, the, the feeling is there, I think both sides sense there's things that need to be fixed anyway. October, end of the year is coming when there's re-enrollment, all that's going to happen. Do you think the Democrats got maybe what they wanted, but maybe down the road they might wonder how do we solve some of these problems that are going to happen anyway? But what's what's the sense over there? They were very quiet toward the end. It was almost like step back, let it all just do whatever it's going to do. Yeah, a couple comments on that. I'm a Democrat. I'm a partisan. I, I think that Donald Trump is sort of a disaster as a leader here. How do you feel? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, I think his ego wrote checks that his party couldn't cash. Mm-hmm. And um, he was not able to uh, put a policy together that could get a majority in the United States House of Representatives. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think the Democrats sort of let the Republicans implode on this particular issue. And I don't know that at this point, Democrats are in a place where they feel they need to bail out the Republicans who have made um, very big promises, the president in particular, without a very um, credible plan for getting it done. And I don't think that re- Democrats feel they're on the hook to solve that problem for them. Elizabeth Mayer made the very interesting point about Ryan's concern that the president might move to the middle and try and attract Democrats. The irony, from my perspective, is that that's essentially what um, a lot of voters want. It's what a lot of people in America want, is to move to the middle. And I think it is, uh, I'm not sure how much of a risk it actually is that Trump will move to the center. But I also think that it shows the state of politics right now that um, this is seen by the Speaker of the House as being a very um, problematic approach as opposed to being something that might be positive where you might be able to generate good policy and find some common ground with people on the other side of the aisle. Uh, We've really moved a long way from that approach and – so I, I, I think that's going to put the Republicans in more of a box than the Democrats. Let me ask Elizabeth Mayer a question. You know, there's this self-imposed rule by the Republican majority in the House on uh, the Hassard rule. You know, you got to have so many yeah. votes within the caucus before you move anything forward. You know, I think about this issue where there might be some uh, moderate Democrats in the House that might want to figure this out, mm-hmm. but this rule that's self-imposed, which really is kind of a structure designed to keep the caucus together in essence. But it seems like every time, you know, I go back before Ryan and Boehner, you know, he did several deals with Democrats in order just to get things done. He probably broke that rule more often than uh, probably people realized. How do we get beyond the small groups that control the outcome? Well, I believe that that kind of reach around, again, to use the term, um, and the breaking of the sort of breaking of the Hastert rule um, is part of uh, what led to this more conservative 
um, movement in the House. So I think you need to be careful what you do and, and how many times you break this sort of rule because be careful what you wish for what you might end up getting. I will say, just to round it out, and I know we have a lot of other issues to talk about, there is one particular issue that I find interesting, um, and that is the premium support issue when it comes to health care. The Tennessee senators yesterday introduced a bill that would um, allow individuals who do not have access to plans because they have fled for one reason or another in a state to um, continue to get some form of premium support to be able to get health insurance. And that's definitely crossing a line since HHS is currently dealing with the leftover effect of the appeal of the Obama administration to continue being able to fund premium support itself. And that, I think, is going to be a continued battle and one which Secretary Price wouldn't answer a question about yesterday in a hearing. That is, at the end of the day, if nothing gets worked out in the Congress, does the administration abandon this premium support or does it continue because it's technically still the, the law of the land? Mm-hmm. Um, and if they don't, do they just see in droves insurers leaving the market and there, therefore Obama or the ACA completely imploding? So I think that really remains to be seen, what's going to happen. Yeah. And that will color some of what both the Democrats and the Republicans toward the end of the year end up doing. Well, let's, uh, keeping with my theme of the Trump 100 NASCAR, let's take another lap here and uh, go into tax reform, which seems, again, it, it sounds easy, you know, tax reform. Who, who doesn't want it? You want lower rates. You want to have more competitive corporate tax structure to create competition and build an economy and so forth. But then as soon as you touch it, it seems like every group in the world comes out. We know here at Brownstein, we hear from a lot of our uh, corporate clients about concern, about what, what does this mean, because uh, it seems like our clients always want to make sure there's a stable platform out there in tax policy. It's not a question of what it is, but create stability so they can do their business. And that seems to be what we hear a lot of, but this now creates a little bit of uh, instability to certain things. No one's sure what it means. And there's some big pieces of legislation that within tax policy can be winners and losers. So, Elizabeth Gore, tell me, you know, what, what are you hearing from clients from Brownstein or people on the street or Democrats? Where, where are they in this kind of mix of activity? Well, you're exactly right. Uncertainty is the um, biggest concern that a lot of clients and a lot of businesses have because they just don't know quite where we're headed. My prediction on on tax reform is that they're going to run into many of the same complications that they ran into on health care reform. I don't think there's alignment among Republicans yet about how to move forward. You're exactly right. At 10,000 feet, everybody wants to do tax reform. They want lower rates and simpler tax code. But when you try and um, write it down as a bill... become you at winners and losers, and it becomes very complicated very quickly. The border adjustability piece is a, is a prime example of that. This is something that Speaker Ryan... That one really has winners and losers. Exactly. Defined. Exactly. Speaker Ryan and Ways and Means Chairman Kevin Brady have been very strong advocates of this. It has almost no support in the Senate from Democrats or Republicans. And so it's hard to... And that's a key part of the House bill. So it's hard to see how the puzzle fits together if you take that piece away. 
Um, and it's hard to see how you pass a bill if you leave it in. So I'm not quite sure that we've quite uh, gotten to a place where there's a path forward on tax reform. If I had to make a prediction as I sit here today, I'd say Republicans end up moving a bill that cuts rates without paying for it, without an offset. And, uh, you know, that's very much against some of the fiscal conservative ideology, but I do think that that's the most likely path, just because um, of your point, Mark, that trying to find offsets creates very distinct winners and losers, and that makes it hard to get a bill passed. So I I think that it's a a very unsettled situation. Elizabeth Mayor, you know, it's interesting. I it's always joked when I was in the Senate, the greatest bipartisan action is just don't pay for anything and everyone joins on. And this tax bill could be a lot. But you also might find some interesting combinations. You might have kind of the Sanders wing of the Democratic Party and the Freedom Caucus wing kind of joining because they don't like corporate subsidy through tax policy. So there's kind of this weird mix out there. But what's the sense among uh, Republicans? It's almost like they're kind of glad maybe healthcare stunts so they can get onto this because a lot of them wanted to really do this first. It seemed at least at the beginning of the session. Yeah, I just as a as an aside on um, I I did hear from a U.S. senator who also happens to be in cycle the other day uh, up for re-election, and he said you know kind of off the record he was really glad that the Congress was moving off of healthcare because. The folks, he would do these large meetings and folks would say they're pro-President Trump, pro-President Trump, anti this health care bill. And even though Trump was pushing it. And so it left him with, you know, sort of nowhere to go. So anyway, um, I I guess I would just add to that another example. You know, um, you take Senator Portman, um, who is thought to be, you know, really steeped in the details of tax reform and was the leader on the international effort alongside Senator Schumer last year. And he's quoted as saying, as far as the border adjustability goes, that he really favors a more traditional approach. And while he'll look at it, he's probably not not going to be for it. One technical matter, just to put a fine point on what Elizabeth Gore said, um, as far as, and I agree with her about this idea that at the end of the day, there might be an effort to just make it simple. Um, and and lower corporate rates somehow and lower individual rates a bit and not completely pay for it. But if they try to do it on a non-bipartisan basis and they try to use, let's just say, the shell of 2017 reconciliation, you have to come up with a billion dollars in savings per the instructions of that reconciliation a package. Or a Oh no! I'm sorry. A trillion. I know it's hard. A around. trillion, actually, a trillion point two. Yeah, around this, <laughs> yes. around this town, a billion trillion. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a trillion point two. It's big. It's big, and so the idea um, that you can do it in 2017 reconciliation is really problematic. So, also hearing from another senator the other day about this, he said, "Look, at the end of the day, this might have to be bipartisan." And so if they can find enough folks, both Republicans and Democrats, to support a less um, ambitious yet still corporate and individual rate cut, 
they might try to go that route. You know, it's interesting. When I was in the Senate, you know, we had the extension of the Bush tax cuts. And, you you, you, you know, it's painful because everyone had their interests. But at the end of the day, it was bipartisan. But it was because the economic interests kind of started to outweigh the political interests of people. And then some figured out that the economic interests are the political interests. And they were realizing that if they don't deal with the individual rate structure in a way, rates were going up. And therefore, those town hall meetings that you see about health care, they'll be like twice as bad because people now see their economic interests being hit again. And so, you know, tax reform is not an easy deal, but at the same time, something's probably going to happen. Do you think, I guess to Elizabeth Gore, do you think that this effort, maybe it's just trim around the edges, is kind of the more safest way for everyone to say, okay, we did it, but it really isn't going to be transformational, but it may be just enough to feel like, okay, we've done something in this arena and satisfy you know, individuals and business community enough? I think that's the path they're on. I think that's the most likely outcome. Listen, from my perspective, that would be another failure on the part of the Trump administration. Donald Trump came into office making huge promises about what he could do, and he really had no idea what he was talking about. And that's what's coming to pass right now is that it it becomes clear that he doesn't understand how Congress works. He doesn't understand how to negotiate or develop legislation. And so, yeah, we're probably going to end up with a relatively small uh, bill that doesn't simplify the code, just drops rates, and it's not paid for. And you can argue about whether that's a big economic engine or not. I would say probably not. But I would just make the point that this is another demonstration of of Donald Trump's inability to to figure out how to put a complicated piece of legislation together and get it passed through through the Congress. It's it's pretty breathtaking that his party controls the House and the Senate, and there's a you know a reasonable uh, chance here that we're going to end up a hundred days in or six months in or a year in without really any major legislation um, accomplished. Let me put a, a close on this topic of taxes for a second with, with Elizabeth Mayer, and that is what Elizabeth Gore talked about was this whole tax, you know, it seems like this is a it's complicated, but it also seems like this is an area that Trump should know enough about in the sense of the details. Healthcare, it was clear there wasn't a lot of knowledge base there. I mean, you could tell by the conversations and even the Republicans were saying it. But in this one, it seems like can, uh, you know, what Elizabeth Gore just talked about be proven wrong by by Trump's deeper knowledge in this area? Or is it just the lack of understanding how the Senate and the House work? That's really Well, I think it's both, to be honest. I think he does have a much better understanding of the tax code than he does about the complicated nature of health care reform. And, you know, tax reform is a little bit less emotional than health care reform and a little bit more transactional to some degree. So you could possibly get somewhere with it. I will say, um, just to be, you know, sort of up to the minute for the folks who might be listening to this very soon, Sean Spicer yesterday said, look, we're going to be driving the train on this. And then this morning... A bullet train or locomotive? <laughs> or Thomas I train? <laughs> I, I don't know. But this morning, all you hear are folks who work in the House and the Senate and senators and House members saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Um, we write the legislation. And I don't know if that's because they're afraid of what they might produce 
or uh, because they just want to keep control of it. But um, I think, uh, you know, it remains to be seen. I think he does have some really, really smart folks he's um, included in his administration, whether it's the new Treasury Secretary or the head of the Economic Council, and they are going to be actively involved in tax reform. Um, But when you start really talking about corporate restructuring and a territorial system, um, those are are items that a lot of companies really want to see. But you also then have to take care of folks who are perhaps business owners, but they file on an individual basis. And that's when it gets really complicated and involves things like pass-throughs. And it remains to be seen where the Congress and where the Trump administration and Democrats and Republicans can come together because it, that it gets real complicated real fast. You think about again, you know, thirty days left, health care tax reform, another big one, infrastructure. Which you would think, I don't care, if, you know, Democrat Republican infrastructure, people like to build stuff, and it's American jobs, it's all the work that needs to go on here. So tell me, you know, uh, again, maybe I'll just start with you, Elizabeth Mayor. Where, where do we where do we start here? Uh, it seems like everyone wants a trillion dollars to be spent. Right. Build a road, build a bridge, fix a road, fix a bridge. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and Elizabeth Gore, uh, you know, knows better than I do on this issue. But transportation and slash infrastructure is an area where even some more conservative members throw off their partisan hat. Um, They want to get something done. And I will say, you know, I I did read, I believe, um, very recently as well, that Senator Thune, for example, a member of the Finance Committee in Senate leadership, the chairman of the Commerce Committee, has said he would really, really like to package infrastructure and tax reform together this year and pass something. Now, I don't know how realistic that is, but I think everybody is very interested in it. It's just, can we get across the finish line? Maybe this will be the one, um, and it'll be smaller, I think, in nature, or smaller in um, in substance than uh, what people are shopping around right now. But I think that the Democrats will want real dollars Um, for any kind of linking of an elaborate sort of tax reform structure. And so who knows if we can get there. Elizabeth Gore? So I think that there there, Elizabeth Mayer is exactly right. There have been conversations about linking the infrastructure package to the tax reform bill. I think that makes such a big package that it falls of its own weight. And I don't think that's a very realistic path forward. With respect to the infrastructure as a standalone, there's so many unanswered questions about what it would cover, how it would be paid for, what would the policies actually be? Would they be funding to states and localities the way we've done in the past for roads and bridges and airports? Or would it include regulatory reform and streamlining of permitting? There's a lot of different approaches that have been discussed on the infrastructure package. And there just hasn't been consensus yet. Now, I do agree that this is an area where we've traditionally seen bipartisan support and a um, joining of the parties in moving these projects forward. 
But again, I, I think it's a question about whether the Speaker of the House and the majority leader in the Senate and the President of the United States are willing to reach across the aisle and try and build some consensus. If the infrastructure package devolves into cutting environmental rules and making it harder for people to comply with the uh, safety requirements that have traditionally been um, needed for federally funded projects, you know, you're going to drive Democrats away and it's going to devolve into a partisan fight. And so hopefully this will be an area where we can find some consensus and build some bipartisan partnerships. But I I think it's very um, far in the future. I don't think we're going to see anything in this area until after the summer at the earliest. And so I think that we'll have to see whether there's interest in trying to build that kind of coalition. We haven't seen it yet. We're really almost out of time here. So I'm just going to ask a quick question, then maybe at a later time we can do a podcast on the budget. This is like, uh, you think now we've gone through health care, tax reform, infrastructure. The sense is not a lot of hope, 30 days left. And oh, by the way, we have a budget. And the president's laid out his budget. It has a lot of issues. I guess my simple question uh, is, end of April, someone has to do something because the CR, continuing resolution, is over. And you heard McCain yesterday say, no CR on defense or I'll shut down the government. That's a pretty strong statement. And so uh, I guess let me ask you just kind of prediction without getting the details of the budget. What's the prediction of between that threat, end of April, and oh, by the way, there's two weeks in there that they're gone out of session? Just a little side note there. (laughs) Well, my prediction is that Defense will get an increase in spending. So John McCain is not going to have to shut down the government. I think every other agency is probably going to see about flat funding. I think they'll just extend the funding levels that they have, a CR that they'll they'll extend through the end of the fiscal year. They're going to have to have Democratic support. So I think there's going to be very few riders, which are these extraneous provisions that sometimes get added. I think the big fight's going to be over the wall with Mexico. Again, this is a big promise made by Donald Trump. It's not clear he can deliver on that. And it's not clear whether he even should, because I think it makes almost no no sense whatsoever to spend money on something that's unneeded and probably ineffective. But in any event, um, he's going to be pushing for money for this, um, this piece of uh, – infrastructure along the border. And um, that's going to be the big fight, I think, at the end of April. My prediction is at the end of the day, he does not get funding for that. And we have that fight again in the fall. Elizabeth Mayor, what's your uh, crystal ball tell you about the end of April? Are we uh, hanging out till late in the evening? Uh, Well, Elizabeth Gore's and my means are different, but I believe we get to the same ultimate (laughs) end position. Um, And that is, look, Paul Ryan said today, We are not allowing the government to shut down. Donald Trump does not want the government to shut down. My sources in the Senate who work on border issues every day tell me it's it's out. The the wall is out. For now. I believe that defense will get ticked up um, and, you know, Folks can hope upon hope that maybe a couple appropriations bills get added into what what's called a minibus, um, but that really remains to be seen. Um, Paul Ryan was also quoted as saying today 
He wants the continuing resolution, which will fund the government with perhaps a tick up in defense to go through September. Now, I don't know if that's actually possible or not, but I think a CR with an uptick in spending will eventually end up passing as well. So as we finish the uh, Trump 100 NASCAR, the checker flag is not is coming close, but probably the likelihood that Trump is on that lead car is not probably there. It looks like a lot of these issues are still unresolved and not moving forward. So this was kind of a interesting quick summary. It will be interesting to see 100 days what the next six months will look like and kind of where it all ends up at the end of the day. But Today, again, we're joined by Elizabeth Gorin, Elizabeth Mayer, the, the, the Elizabeth Show, we'll call it. Uh, maybe there'll be a series of these. I think it's great to get both uh, viewpoints of what's happening behind the scenes from both Democrats and Republicans in the Brownstein firm. It shows our broad reach of how we can touch on all sides of the equation to understand what's going on and obviously get a good pulse of uh, the issues in front of us. So thank you both for being here today. You're it was very good to welcome. Be here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.